0: Maybe you're like me and when you hear the word stoic, you think of the Gerard Butler voice character in How to Train Your Dragon. The strong, firm, protective, self-sacrificing and a little close-minded uh, figure who leads the town and at least the first one plays a contrast and foil to the creative vision of his son Hiccup. You know this man who, when he uh, greets and sees his long lost, long estranged wife for the first time, Valka, voiced by Kate Blanchett, she has to plead with him to stop being so stoic, stoic, and she tries to ascertain just exactly what he is feeling, feelings he does not easily let on. Look, maybe you're not exactly like me. Maybe that's not exactly what comes to mind when you hear the word stoic, but. You know, you might still share my limited understanding of the depth and robustness of Stoic philosophy. You might share my surprise at the popularity of the movement, particularly in the Greco-Roman first century. And you might share my interest in how, given that popularity, it might help us glean greater insights into the letter to the Colossians. My guest today not only helps fill in these gaps, but takes the work forward offering an eco-Stoic reading of Colossians as part of the Earth Bible Commentary Series, out now with TNT Clark. Welcome to Love Loverins Repeat, a podcast recorded on dark and young land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. My guest today is Reverend Dr. Vicky Balabansky. Vicki is a senior lecturer in New Testament at Flinders University, Department of Theology and Director of Biblical Studies at the Uniting College for Leadership and Theology. She has lived and, and worked in various parts of Europe, the Middle East and Asia, including a year in Jerusalem as the Golden Mayor doc- Postdoctoral Fellow at the Hebrew University. She's a team member and editor of the International Earth Bible Project, which has produced a series of books that seek to read the Bible in the shadow of the ecological crisis facing the earth community, of which this eco-Stoic commentary on Colossians is a part. Please welcome Vicki to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Well, Victoria Balabansky, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, it's great to have you. Now, Vicki, you and I have kind of, you know, we've engaged before on various, you know, in Uniting Church Theological Circles, but first time on the podcast, and we're just excited to be discussing, you know, co- your, your commentary on Colossians for the Earth Bible series. Uh, tell us a bit about just, just how it kind of came about, your interest in this, and uh, and I guess what you're hoping the book kind of in a broad sense achieves.
1: Mm. Thanks, Liam. Well, um, I guess my interest goes right back to the beginning of the Earth Bible Project. Um, uh, A group of us came together on the one campus in Adelaide back in the late 90s, and um, we started kind of throwing around um, ecological uh, concepts and and distilled some ecological principles and and then published, as you know, a series of books called the Earth Bible. And there's been a number of trajectories coming out of that. And Fairly early on in the piece, I started writing about Colossians, and and um, not having done my PhD in the area, I felt that I needed to kind of establish um, myself in the, in the Pauline field, but also um, kind of test out some of the things that uh, that are important, but that wouldn't necessarily go directly into the commentary. So, what's been happening uh, really over the last? more than a decade is um, me working on aspects publishing you know different bits of it in different journals and then uh, and finally um, you know kind of distilling it all into uh, into what we call a commentary although perhaps what is conjured up by a commentary is not quite the same thing as what this book is um, so here it is it's not it's not a massive tome it's quite a, a slender volume um, and it uh, it isn't in the, in quite the kind of historical critical, Um, framework. It's it's doing a number of things. And I guess one of the key things, it's bringing hermeneutical um, questions into the foreground. So the question of what the text means today uh, is is made more prominent than is traditionally the case in commentaries. Uh, And I do that by specifically bringing uh, Colossians into, or setting it in the context of Stoic ideas and That's why it's called an eco-Stoic reading. Um, I have ancient Stoic philosophy and ideas, which were actually kind of the um, the koiné of of the ancient world, that is to say the the kind of general um, kind of cultural, uh, um, sort of the commonplace uh, philosophy of the day. And uh, and it's actually very different from what came to be the common thing, namely Neo-Platonism. And when we now read the Bible, we kind of assume that it was Neoplatonism or Platonism all the way through, but that's not the case. I'm, I'm making the case that in fact um, Stoicism was the the most influential philosophy in uh, in the first century and the second century, um, and that uh, its prominence has been kind of masked by what subsequently happened. And so when we actually read. Um, biblical material, particularly uh, a letter like Colossians, against that stoic background we we hear it really differently. So what I'm doing is I'm establishing in each chapter a stoic reading context, kind of giving giving the reader um, kind of I suppose a little overview of some key ideas from stoicism, just in a couple of pages uh, each chapter and uh, and then um, and those ideas are chosen in order to shed light on that particular passage from from Colossians. And then from there I go into um, ecological uh, reflections and hermeneutics. So, you know, what this means for today. So I should perhaps say that, you know, there's a kind of a logic between um, uh, Stoicism and ecological reflection, namely that the Stoics, their basic idea was living in harmony with nature and, and so with God, and, and you know when you when you put that in the foreground as you know the kind of key value that people were um, expecting of their of their spiritual life, uh, it actually um, enables us to think again and think fresh, freshly about um, the ecological crisis that we're in.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I think that that point is really helpful we? and we'll draw out a bit of that more, that that this is like a way to, yeah, in leading us into action through the biblical text by bringing this conversation partner in. I thought it was interesting when you opened the book, you kind of pointed out that depending on what faculty group you walk in on and, and announce what you said there, that that stoicism is the most common uh, and, and, the, and the, the, yeah, the common philosophy of the first and second century, that in some places, it's not going to bat an eye, but... Um, in more theological biblical circles it, it might just want to yeah let us know a bit there and, and maybe why you think um it, it is such a it, it is a, um, a, a eyebrow raising claim in 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 the, in the halls that we're used to walking in
1: yeah thanks Lou. Well, so that, that he's referring you're you're referring to um the the little preface that I include it's kind of a little kind of Almost like a parable um, of a of a scholar walking into two different groups and, and announcing the same thing and you know among philosophers that's not at all uh, controversial uh, that you know basically philosophers uh, think of stoicism as the key or stoicism and epicureanism were uh, the the most prominent philosophical traditions that um, uh, that shaped uh, discourse uh, in in the first century um, and you know. A broader span than that, but we're talking specifically now, you know, first century and uh, as a background to Colossians. Whereas for biblical scholars, um, we've often bracketed out philosophy as an inappropriate um, context in which to to talk about Colossians. And of course, Colossians has a few things, uh, apparently negative things to say about philosophy, so, of course, what I when you read it carefully, it doesn't actually wipe off philosophy. It's, it wipes off a certain type of philosophy that's uh, pandering to kind of human traditions. Uh, but in fact, the, um, the the letter writer, who I actually think is, well, it says at the beginning it's Paul and Timothy. I think Timothy takes the lead in 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 uh, writing this letter, but I do think that Paul's alive and um, and uh, Uh, kind of his voice is there, particularly at the beginning and the end. Um, So I I think that Timothy has a very positive view of philosophy and doesn't want to discourage his readers from uh, seeking a life of virtue and a life of wisdom because that's what philosophy was all on about, um, wisdom and Mm. virtue.
0: And I think it's interesting there because you say, like, there's some parts of the 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 letter that can be read as dismissing philosophy but usually the people who are writing things that are dismissing philosophy are themselves philosophers you know <laughs> people who don't actually care or think about philosophy usually don't talk about it at all the ones who go on and on are <laughs> those who think yeah. there's actually some virtue with it the problem is yeah. those guys down the street who, who are doing it wrong <laughs> that's um, right i've got your way through yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i think something that might be, be helpful is you know you kind of touched on briefly in that in your, in your first response kind of maybe some of that core tenet of, stoic, of stoicism because i think in my head, or in a lot of heads of contemporary Stoicism, is ah, you're in control of your emotions. Like to, to be Stoic is to you know, yes, to, to not be you know, um, blown by every whim and emotion and and, and situation that you find yourself in. Uh, how much is that actually tied to the Stoicism? You know, what, what that movement in that first second century? How much is it something different? Uh, you know, um, and because as you say, that's not kind of living in harmony with, with the world and us with God. And, you know, so I'm just curious about that, the way the word is kind of commonly used now and and how yeah. you're kind of, you know, what you're appealing
1: to. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I think, um, we, we have, a, uh, distilled, you know, kind of, uh, the notion of stoicism right down into this kind of very narrow, um, stiff upper lip kind of idea that, you know, um, let nothing kind of disturb your tranquility. <laughs> and, um, that's that's uh, that is an aspect of stoicism, but but to just start there and finish there is to is not really to understand what motivated them. I think um, rather it, it is the case that because they valued virtue and uh, they 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 defined themselves over against um, particularly the Epicureans. Now the Epicureans uh, valued primarily. Uh, happiness and the pursuit of happiness and the avoidance of pain as the kind of ultimate good and evil. Whereas the Stoics said, no, actually both uh, pleasure and pain are not ultimate. And it's our attitude to pleasure and pain that actually shape our experience of them. And so in fact, what they did was to reframe things and to, to tackle those things that, that are within our control and to allow the, the things that are beyond our control, not to um, to see them as uh, uh, indifferent in the sense that they can't control who we really are. So, in fact, the, those ideas uh, come into our contemporary world in cognitive behavioural therapy, that it's actually, um, you know, that's been picked up yeah. and, and is used very widely in yeah. um, in, in uh, settings of mental health to, to help people to distinguish between, uh, between these sorts of things and to reframe, uh, you know, what they, what, where they sit in relation to those things. So Stoics were actually very. Um, it, it was a practice of life, and and you trained yourself uh, uh, to be able to, I guess, uh, sit lightly to 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 suffering, yeah. which is not to say that you sorted out and that you loved it. Um, you know, th- they have this concept of, um, you know, some things are preferable or preferred, and some things are not preferred, and of course, happiness and pleasure is preferred, and pain and you know, discomfort is not preferred, but neither of them are actually are ultimate.
0: Thank you for that. I was thinking about the, uh, when you say about in our contemporary context in, in, in cognitive behavioural therapy, also in that kind of common, um, you know, Lord, give me the the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know, that, and patience with the ones I can't and wisdom to know the difference, whatever it is, I butchered it. Um, yeah. But yeah, we see that kind Very of... Very stoic. Uh, yeah. Very stoic. <laughs> How interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, as you say, the, the the stoicism then you're also bringing in as kind of maybe a, a foible, at least, or a different view than the Platonism, which you know has this kind of very dualistic way of looking at the world. And and as you kind of argue, stoicism really fits much more that harmonious view with the picture of Colossians, you know, this of Christ all in all and 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 reconciling all things, and this very grand picture of of the universe being held in and redeemed by by Christ, that really this is a a much, yeah, more, you know, it kind of is right there in this letter, much more fitting of not any kind of um, split. Um, You're right elsewhere that, you know, Colossians really downplays any, um, you know, already not yet eschatology, you know, that that this is much more, yeah, um, harmony in in Christ and the universe is much more prominent in this letter than in letters where, where Paul doesn't just get to chirp over Timothy's shoulder from time to time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Nicely put yeah Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I, I think it is it's remarkable when you when you um set the your reading of Colossians against a different cosmological background, what you notice. And you know, if you think of it as Platonism, and when you read heaven, you'll necessarily think of you know this kind of um realm, you know, of of the divine being some somewhere far away and earth being you know somehow um separate. But But um, because uh, for Stoics, the the logos, um, you know, the the, the divine wisdom uh, permeates all things, and uh, and in fact, there is no um, place where God is not. So it's much more of a panentheistic view of the world. Uh, When you you set your reading against that context, you notice different things, and and it it enables you to read some of the verses in Colossians that are really difficult to understand um, against a platonic background, they they become a lot more, um, uh, yeah, just logical and and clear. So, for instance, um, uh, uh, Colossians 2, 9, uh, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So dwells currently. This is not just talking about the incarnation. Mm. In Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells in an ongoing way in an embodied way, and what does that mean? If um, in a Platonic framework yeah, where no. you downplay the value of body and embodiedness, you know that that's weird. Um, but, <laughs> but in a in a, um, in a Stoic framework, you go, yeah, um, that that makes a whole lot of sense because mm. embodied life is is what they're interested in.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And and then that obviously then changes then to the you know this picture of. Um, so you bring in early in the book or the start of the book is is um, Amazing Grace, the song Amazing Grace, and particularly the well now predominantly discarded verse: um, "The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine." Um, and the Colossian has you know a, a starkly different view than the idea that the the world is going away to, to be dissolved, to be dismissed, and and, and what will remain is some um, now not. Located on Earth, relationship between the human being and, and God, um, and again, I guess that would come through with with you know, shifting the key dialogue partner. But you know, it's not just you know that's that's this is still a battle in in Christian spheres that has a, you know that directly impacts how we how churches and Christians approach the ecological catastrophe.
1: Absolutely, I mean eschatology it does boil down to <laughs> different eschatologies and different understanding of of uh, God's. Christ's relationship with with all things, mm. and clearly the the um, the hymn in chapter one verses fifteen to twenty uh, emphasizes that you know um, all things have been created through him and for him and in him all things are sustained. So that that notion of of um, all things, and that, and of course when you notice um, from a from a stoic point of view, this notion of all things, this kind of um, comprehensive universal um, view of um, the material world and that, that that is a valuing of it in, in an ongoing way it's not just that Christ visited us briefly on earth and is off again to heaven and and uh, and we're just waiting for you know the final cl- conflagration and that's that's it it's um, it's actually proclaiming a view of that, that really values um the material world, and other creatures as well. So, I mean, one of the verses that that stands out um, worth mentioning in uh, Chapter 1, Verse 23, which talks about um, uh, the gospel uh, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. You know, oh, why every creature under heaven? I mean, who cares about all of those creatures? It's only about <laughs> us. You know? um, yeah. No, no, that's, mm-hmm. it's not that. In fact, um, so, look, Colossians has a lot of... Um, of the ecological potential and and um, richness that I think I am mm. uh, I'm, I'm, I have endeavoured in this reading of Colossians to uh, to draw out.
0: Mm. One thing I wanted to talk about there around that, like, um, you know, with those of us, you know, those involved in the, you know, in, in pushing for action in this ecological sphere, looking to try to avert the climate catastrophe, um, one of the biggest questions you come upon is the question of hope, right, because it can be... You know, a devastatingly hopeless endeavor sometimes, or a very frustrating endeavor, and, and and hope is sometimes in feels in short supply, or feels you know not very justified. Um, but the, Col- the letter to Colossians, you know, addresses hope, deals in hope, has has hope as a as a factor as a play. How do you think that you know? letter speaks to this situation where, where hope sometimes feels <laughs> very foolish and 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 unearned given everything we see and every news alert and and new round of statistics
1: yeah great question um look I think I think Colossians it gives a great emphasis to hope which is interesting this is perhaps the one thing where it really differs from stoicism because for stoics hope was a distraction you know for ho- hoping for better things Meant that you were uh, not coming to terms with what is, and um, and so you know they they downplayed hope as a yeah. as a, a valuable uh, category. Whereas um, the the letter to the Colossians really does have a very strong. It has that Pauline faith, hope, and love. Except it's faith, love, and hope. The hope is is a big um, aspect of that. And so I uh, I discuss this at quite a lot of length. Um, in um, yeah, in the commentary, um, and I guess for me, it it is really central for for um, for us to grasp that while you know, Colossians itself says um, hope hope laid up in heaven in verse five, and you, and that of course you sound like oh well that's that's the next world that's that's not this world so um, but no in fact against a, um, a stoic background. Um, heaven does not refer to, you know, chronologically something different or, you know, geographically up and down. Um, he- heaven is, is essentially a way of talking about God and the presence of God, um, and uh, and I, I demonstrate that from various sort of uh, Stoic sources. And, um, and so hope laid up, our hope is in fact in God. I mean, you know, that's necessarily the case. Uh, and then I, I um, discuss... Yeah, pages forty-five to forty-five. 50, sorry, fifty-four to fifty-six. A variety of aspects of hope that, um, that that are kind of crucial, as I see it, to to action and um, to the way in which we view creation. So, I think it's an interesting one. I um, every couple of weeks, uh, my husband and I um, have a really nice meal with with some uh, non-Christian friends who um, who always want to talk about hope. It's it's the kind of continuing theme. Like yeah. they don't they don't share our worldview, but they they care about this question of hope and where it where it comes from. Mm. And um and I think for us as Christians, um yeah we we need to to think carefully about a, the way in which we can frame a hope that doesn't mean that you know our, our investment is all in the next world, so, but but rather it's a motivator to to recognise the, the great preciousness of this current world and uh, and to invest ourselves in um, in the material world, in the embodied world, and uh, and, and see that God, um, that's where God is also to be encountered. So, you know, where I go with it, all of that, that is uh, towards the end of the book, I, I, I endeavour to, I talk about panentheism and I talk about um, the way in which, This uh, drives uh, us to – the fact is I I think that the majority of Western uh, people are functionally epicurean, that is to say maximising pleasure, minimising pain, that's what it's about. And I think that um, an eco-stoic way of looking at it is to to say that um, that there there needs to be – an understanding of the good as the common good, the good of all creatures, and mm. that um, that you know, in in finding um, that Christ is the one through whom and for whom all things are, are created, we can't you know sort of simply discard um, you know the the, uh, the creatures that are that are being you know undergoing this kind of huge pressure and extinction uh, as though that doesn't matter. Um, and we, you know, we need to recover a sense of of our Christian relationship with um, with the the natural world.
0: Mm, thank you for that. I think that's helpful, and that's um, you talk about you know that that ethics is one of the real places where where Colossians and and this Stoic uh, philosophy are tied in that. Put, you know, yeah, it's not just about this hope; it's about you know then about the the way in which we live. Um, and I think, as you say, if you still as you said, Stoicism can still say that pleasure is a good thing and pain is a bad thing, but it doesn't become the sole pursuit or the sole avoidance. It becomes, like, you know, it's a different way then to frame that there can be some, you know, almost like, you know, I don't know, I'm getting too far out here, but, then, you know, there can be virtue in a particular kind of suffering if that is about, you know, I forego this thing I want right now so that, you know, polar bears won't be around in 30 years, you know.
1: Exactly. Um, I, I think that that we do have the capacity to self-limit and um, limit our um, our desire or our need for um, you know more and more you know uh, and and in doing so, in fact, we find that um, our connection with with those small things that we value and we notice all of a sudden because uh, we're not hurrying past them to the next pleasurable experience. Um, you know, we we actually have a richer um, uh, experience of life that way.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. So so when I was thinking, you know, eco-theology, I was just having another episode which will come out by the time yours is out with Di Racin talking about eco-theology and other things. We were kind of talking about the the interdisciplinary nature of eco-theology that you're going to have to kind of draw on some hard sciences and, you know, and, and pull in a few different to different uh, disciplines and I'm thinking about you know this you know Timothy writing Colossians and drawing on the philosophy of the day and and sometimes you know you might if you try to you know go that eco route in, your, in, your, in our churches or where have you, you might get this kind of pushback of well look you're you're you know you're you're, you're not even doing like you know, Christian things you're drawing on you know scientific research you're drawing on you know this kind of philosophy or political uh, movement or economic you're drawing on economics and political economy to, to say that it's you know, that an economic model has to change in order for things to change. But here we have, you know, the core of that, you know, our holy text, the Bible, going like, you know, so heavily reliant and, and so heavily shaped by, you know, an, an engagement with a particular philosophical form that had arisen independent of it. And I mean, and that, that idea that the Bible is drawing on the intellectual movements of the time is not necessarily, it's not a, a groundbreaking revolutionary one. But I thought about how, any thoughts you have on how, yeah, you yeah, know, this is such a... a you know, a closely wedded um, letter built around, like, you know, a good understanding of and a recognition that people have, uh, the audience would have an understanding of a particular philosophy, how that might then speak to, you know, Christian efforts today to um, inform our proclamation of the gospel or shape our proclamation of the gospel um, in conversation with particular political economy or or ecological or or biological um, disciplines.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that one of the wonderful things about uh, Colossians and something that it models for us is that it uh, it has a such a, a deep and strong sense of uh, you know that that all things come together in Christ, and so that you don't have to be frightened of any other discipline or uh, any other discourse um, because indeed Christ Christ is already there, and and so. You know, I, I I really enjoy reading science. I'm not a scientist, but I, I benefit a lot from reading. Um, uh, I subscribe to New Scientist and I love to read it. Um, and I think that, you know, that that, that fits very well with, um, with uh, my understanding of Colossians and more generally of the Bible, because it seems to me that we proclaim, you know, a God who, you know, is... Uh, the one, you know, who, who creates all things, and so as we learn more about science, we learn more about an aspect of uh, of creation and of the divine. One of the ways in which that comes up in this book is, um, you know, I talk about uh, about cosmic sympathy, um, and that's a that's a concept um, that comes uh, comes up in um, you know in uh, in Stoic ideas, but it it also you know, the, the physicists are talking about cosmic sympathy as well. So, you know, this is an ancient idea, but that it's kind of being recovered by uh, physicists today. And I think, uh, you know, for me, that's just a, a great thing and, and, and an intriguing thing. And, I, I you know, so what the Bible does for us is not to, to, to um, prescribe the, the parameters of science. What it does is to give us the, the values and the perspective uh, through which we can, uh, you know, enjoy all the, you know, the developments of science and and reflect on them. Of course, not, yeah. um, you know, not every bit of science is. Uh, well, you know, I think generally speaking, scientists do a wonderful job, and many of, you know, many physicists are indeed believers as well. You know, yeah, or yeah. other scientists. It's not, it, it's not an either or thing. That's part of the problem, I think, with our, um, you know, many young people now believe. Uh, that it's either science or it's mm. it's religion, and you know and that's that's a really sad state of affairs i'd I'd like um to make it very clear that it doesn't have to be an either or.
0: yeah, totally. Um, another thing I was thinking about before is you know with with when we we're talking about you know this picture of christ or oh, and and the fullness of um divinity dwelling currently in this embodiedness, and that you know something that kind of comes up and has probably emerged out of eco- theological readings is is this idea of, you know, Jesus being, you know, Jesus is made up of the same matter. Like there's no more matter in the universe than there was at the, at the moment that it, it became a universe, um, whatever that looked like. But, like, you know, it's the same stuff just getting rearranged um, and and it was on Jesus. And uh, and and how that – so I was just thinking about that in terms of and then how this kind of – if the eco-Stoic you know, reading of Colossians has anything to kind of help, you know, explore that and explain that. And particularly if we don't think that, yeah, somehow like – yeah, with that Platonist thing that like Jesus is all that matter that was on Jesus is now kind of being sucked out of the universe, and there's actually um, post AD thirty three, there's just like this much little less stuff in the universe.
1: <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Look, I mean, obviously, uh, eco theologians have done a wonderful um, a wonderful job in helping us to conceptualise the fact that you know we're breathing air that Jesus breathed, and and you know the matter that we are made up of, you know that includes Jesus' own matter. Um, one of the things is that that uh, all of those insights had have not yet been fully applied and um, integrated into biblical studies. So that's what I've right. um, endeavoured to do. I haven't um, obviously in, in a slender, relatively slender volume. Yeah. I haven't tried to do everything, but um, but. But you know, I'm I am influenced by uh, you know people like Dennis Edwards and his um, deep, deep incarnation and that you know the kind of um, concept that uh, that we need to understand uh, the incarnation in a much you know more um, ecological sense than than we have perhaps.
0: Mm. Cool. And definitely ties in with what you say, like you know that if if you know the idea of the incarnation is taking on matter rather than just taking on a kind of human form in a very specific thing, then as you say, then that that's a clear line to what the Colossians, all creatures under heaven, right? You know, have have have, have heard the gospel. um You know, yeah. that, that this is a much larger scope. I think that's yeah. really helpful. And I think, and yeah, and what you're saying with the book is, you know, you're actually yeah going okay. Here are you know text you know as you say you're not doing the historical criticism or like or the big tone where every single verse gets you know um this but it's like here is throughout this letter you know understanding this reading and how it then goes from reading into what it was the world it was in into this particular ecological crisis and, and i think that's helpful to kind of tie it to the text because for a lot of people you know um of that's you know that's still the primary way that they're you know engaging and reading the text and so linking it there rather than just kind of having it hang out maybe more in Um, in in just a theological text is is really important. Hmm. Yeah,
1: so obviously one of the ways um, that I'm doing that in this uh, Earth Bible commentary is I'm I'm giving a fresh translation of each of the passages from Colossians, and sometimes the translations do differ from um, other, uh, you know, more traditional translations. So, um, for instance, um, um, I have where some translations would translate uh, the word of the truth of the gospel, I translate that as the true Logos word, namely the gospel, and and uh, because of course for Stoics the Logos was you know permeating all things and you know and so this state is really saying that it's the gospel that actually articulates the Logos profoundly. Um, so you know I'm I'm trying to um, bring certain things to light that perhaps aren't so obvious in English. And um, and you know and I do that with obviously the Colossians hymn and various other uh, aspects. In fact, one of the one of the um, tangents that it led me on was I uh, wrote an article, which has um, been published in the Tyndale Bulletin, um, uh, questioning uh, the translation of uh, Colossians one twenty three, and bringing various things to bear because I think that actually that's been mistranslated by you know all the translations. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of it, just, you know, one of those intriguing things. Obviously, I mentioned it in the commentary. I don't go into it in detail. But, um, uh, you know, it, it. I think translation is one of those ways. So setting the, the uh, Stoic context, uh, giving a translation, doing that um, eco-hermeneutical uh, you know, hermeneutical reading, but also then um, moving into a kind of retrieval mode. So if we have, um, you know, suspicion... Um, identification and retrieval. The retrieval is uh, done via the person of Nympha. And um, Nympha, of course, is, is mentioned uh, as the head of a house church in uh, Chapter 4 of Colossians. And so uh, Nympha becomes uh, a way in which I imaginatively reconstruct how a formerly pagan um, elite woman uh, who has been uh, trained in in Stoic ideas and philosophy, uh, m- could have heard and uh, interacted with the Pauline gospel.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up. My next question was going to be on, on <laughs> and, and using that as a device to to you know draw in this dialogue and and to draw it kind of out again in fresh ears. Um, is that something you've employed before, you know, in teaching, or is that something that you just want, you know, develop through this book, um, particularly, or how did that kind of come about? And, and, and I guess, yeah, you've kind of talked a bit about what you hope it achieves, but yeah, just interesting yeah. a bit more about so that.
1: So, one of the expectations of the Earth Bible series is that we do move through um, suspicion and identification to retrieval, and and each of us does it in a slightly different way. There are some some of the writers use poetry or various other. Um, Imaginative things to to um, bring uh, that sort of hermeneutical bridge to a to a kind of um, close. For me, nympha, uh, because she is, I mean, the word nympha, the name nympha, does suggest that she she came from a pagan background, um, and uh, you know, nympha means bride, but it's also um, nymphaum That's the, the sort of the water um, fountains of the ancient world, and you know, water yeah yeah, so um she uh, she I, I portray her as uh, somebody who has uh, had her some of her ways of seeing reshaped and broadened um, uh, by um by her encounter with the gospel, as presented to her by Epaphras, who was presumably you know uh, the the person who brought the gospel to uh, this uh, part of the Lycus Valley. In Asia Minor, and is now with Paul and has reported back to Paul and Timothy about uh, what's been going on there. And look, for me, Nympha. Um, she, uh, in my my husband says, actually, you know, Nympha, that's you. <laughs> and, and you know, perhaps it is kind of, although obviously her life experience is very different from mine. But <laughs> but uh, it's a, it's a you know, um, feminist writers uh, talk about historical imagination as being crucial uh, to to recovering something of. Um, yeah, of the fullness of of, of the vision, and uh, and so for for me, uh, nymph enables that to happen.
0: <laughs> That's great. No, and I think that that is like, like one of the great things about the series, and and it really is a great benefit in your in your commentary. Uh, I guess just as we kind of close out, you know, you, you were talking at the beginning, hey, you know, you were there in the '90s when when this whole project kind of began. This earth bible project began, and it started with the, the broader works, and is now you're seeing the more um, book-specific commentaries um, and readings, you know. That w- how do you f- feel about the series now, 20-something years on? And, uh, and I guess you, do, do you think about, like, you know, um, its future and where it still has to go and what you'd like to see uh, see from it?
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think the, the, what we were doing initially was to try and establish a critical way of, um, of working with eco-hermeneutics and um, that was in the in the context where where people tended to cherry pick the Bible and go oh you know this is a good verse for us and <laughs> yeah. and oh, don't let's not worry about that verse that is obviously not particularly eco friendly. <laughs> um, so we were trying to 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 distill a way of um, and also moving away from. Uh, looking at the Earth as a kind of theme or topos, or you know something that mm. we we humans sort of looked over and studied it in a kind of an objective way, but but recognizing our own kinship with the Earth community and reading in in solidarity with yeah. with yeah. the rest of Earth, and and so really that has shaped um, I guess my academic life really, um, and and I'm, you know I'm, I'm glad about that. I do wonder sometimes whether I mean the the, the, the commentary series. Is not a particularly it, it is it's written in a sense with the academy in mind, so you know with mm. with people who've studied theology in mind. But but people who haven't studied theology have read this book, and um and have said, look, it's actually clearly written, and I I really liked it. So I, I you know that that warms my heart. <laughs> yes, because, that's
0: great. <laughs> um,
1: you know, I really I do I have written it in such a way that I want it to be comprehensible. Mm. Um, but you know, maybe down the track there needs to be a kind of um. Uh, you know, another version that, that's a little bit more popular.
0: Mm. I yeah, I think that that would be an interesting thing to explore. You know, as you say, but I think you, you're right. This book, you, I, I think I could, you know, there's sometimes I'm like with people, I'm like, just watch the interview and don't worry about the book. You, you're, it's <laughs> like, it's going to be way too much. You know, we get the best bits out of the interview and the, the rest is going to be a slog. Uh, and there are other ones I'm like, no, you could definitely just, you know, having done no theological or, or a couple of units, that pick this up, and it would it would read, and it, you'd appreciate it. So, I don't really think you're in that camp, but I think you're right. Maybe as a series in general, and you know, exploring what it is—you know—more things that could just be, yeah, put in the hands of any anyone, and, and 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 you know, show exactly get across that kind of project would be great. But, but
1: my, my yeah. hope is um, that down the track, um, I, I'd really like to make this open access um, because mm. at the moment, the the way in which the series. Um, uh, it, it's with Bloomsbury TNT Clark, which of course is very prestigious but also very expensive. So, um, you know, anyone who's listening to this may sort of have a look and go, whoa, who could do that? And yeah. <laughs> I would I agree with you there. But, um, um, I mean, if anyone is interested, they can email me and I can give them an author, author's discount. But but nevertheless, it's, it's a lot of money. But I think I, I would like um, uh, down the track, what, once uh, 18 months have passed, I might be able to, Persuade Bloomsbury to um, to to allow it to go open access, and, and you know I would hope that that uh, ecological hermeneutics becomes oh, yeah. a much more readily available uh, way of of uh, interpreting the Bible.
0: Yeah, that'll be great. And uh, yeah, if you're not going to get it for yourself, you know, talk to your theological library uh, at your local library college. If you're a in church member, you can just be a member of of, of Sydney of your library uh, of your college's library. So get it in there. I'm sure they already have it, but get it in there. Um, well, Vicky, yeah. thank you for coming on. Obviously, uh, other than the book, that's the main thing we've got. are drawing people's attention to. But is there anything else you want to uh, promote? Any classes you want to you want to shout out that people could do with you? Anything you want to uh, get well, out attention look, on?
1: Well, you you um, I'm doing everything online yeah. uh, now, so anyone who is interested in doing any of the, the study uh, via, you know, ACD would be most welcome. I'd uh, be delighted to have you. But, I mean, I, I you know, obviously I teach New Testament and um, I'll be teaching John's Gospel next semester. So, yeah, if you want to join me, that would be great fun.
0: There you go. Folks. There is not... already a,
1: an Earth Bible commentary on John, so mm. not written by me, but... Um, so we'll be definitely uh, referring to that as well.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. So if you're looking for some continuing ed or just a class to do to pass the time and you want to stay inside, that's <laughs> the one to do. So, uh, yeah, and, and the book again, yeah, uh, Colossians and Earth uh, Eco-Stoic Reading uh, out with the Earth Bible series in um, TNT, Clark Bloomsbury. There it is on the mm-hmm. screen if you're watching. Uh, <laughs> the link will be in the show notes below and check it out. Uh, Vicky, thanks for coming on. It's been great. Yeah.
1: Lovely to chat. Thank you so much.